the whole energy transition is being slowed down enormously by ownership structures that are in place with electricity. So who owns the electric grid? What are the ownership structures available for that technology are absolutely important. They can't just be ignored. Bringing a community trust ownership model, this is what it looks like when we claim Commonwealth of the Sun as our right our commons, and we claim our ownership over it. This is Frontiers of Commoning with David Bollier. My guest today is Catherine Malun, Associate Professor of Anthropology at the University of Minnesota Duluth and Research Fellow at the University's Minnesota Design Center, where she directs the Solar Commons Research Project. Catherine has spent the past 15 years developing the innovative Solar Commons Project, a powerful archetype for commoners to share the financial benefits of solar energy. The basic idea is to create a partnership among solar energy owners and nearby communities through a Solar Commons Trust Agreement. The steady revenue stream is then used to build community wealth. Over the coming decades, this is going to become increasingly important as urban solar goes up on rooftops on university campuses, manufacturing plants, and big box stores, and as solar farms further encroach on rural farmland. Solar Commons Trust can give solar owners an opportunity to be better neighbors, all sorts of nonprofit groups serving low-income neighborhoods, rural communities, Native American food sovereignty, and local regenerative farming can secure a new source of revenue through Solar Commons Trusts. At the moment, there are four independent solar commons projects underway. Each is designed to benefit their communities, not reward investors, banks, or businesses. A beautiful mural for the first grid-connected solar commons in Tucson, Arizona, has the tagline, Gathering and Sharing the Sun's Commonwealth. While Professor Malone's scholarship has focused on Native American repatriation and the transformation from socialism to capitalism in Eastern Europe, Much of her current research revolves around commons and law. She's especially interested in common property ownership, community trust ownership of solar energy, and commons in international law. Catherine, it's it's a real pleasure to talk with you today. Hi, David. So good to be here. Maybe you could just briefly describe the solar commons idea that you've pioneered and tell me how it differs from other types of solar energy systems that might be out there. There's two ways you can begin to describe it. One is you did through the community trust idea that many people are familiar with, so an ownership model. But solar commons is also trying to think about the sun as a form of commonwealth. The sun shines for everyone. So we're trying to bring that framework in too. So it's a project, as you said, it's ongoing for the last 15 years. The goal is to have prototypes existing in several communities and to create tools, legal templates, and a digital dashboard that can then be used, be open source and used by everyone to do this kind of solar commoning themselves. That's the goal. So we're building those with our prototypes. We haven't been working directly into the grid. We are working behind the meter. That's a really important thing right now because of the way ownership works on the grid. And it gets kind of technically complex, but I'll say that basically Solar Commons is about being able to share benefits, financial benefits of solar energy, the host of a solar common solar array can be the owner of the array and the trust itself is the owner of the financial benefits. So the trust doesn't need to be where the array is owned. 
So for example, if a big box store puts solar on the roof in a, in a low-income neighborhood, they start seeing financial benefits on their electric bill, you know, some solar savings. They can use these tools that we have, which is the creation of a trust with a neighborhood organization, and they can move some of those solar savings into that trust. Purpose of the trust set by the community and the trust will be governed and the funds used for a kind of a reparative justice, improving the neighborhood, community wealth building, and things like that. So the trust is basically the vehicle for sharing the benefits from the solar energy, but that it has many permutations in how the trust can interact with different partners. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. The trust, it's a legal ownership structure, so it could own many things. It could own the array. It could own just the financial benefits. We're working with it right now, having the trust own the financial benefits of solar savings. Tell me a little bit about the origins of this project. It's been, as I understand, you got it started in Tucson, Arizona, and now you're in Minneapolis, where you're working in both urban and rural settings to develop this. How did this unfold, and why did you decide you wanted to develop this idea when there are other ways to get solar energy? At the time we started this, I was living in Phoenix, and there was going to be a light rail corridor coming through Phoenix. It was the new light rail. They were going to need a lot of electricity in that corridor. So of course you could bring electricity to the corridor through big gas plants or coal plants or other things distant and then bring it in through transmission lines. Now that's the typical centralized way that investor-owned utilities are bringing even solar electricity. You know, in general in the 20th century, that's how they brought electricity into urban areas. So instead of doing that, you could certainly have solar along that corridor. And the question then is, well, who would own that solar? How would it be owned? And the idea of a community trust ownership model then occurred to me and some other people that I was working with at the time. So the idea was, let's put some solar in the right-of-way corridor and have it be owned as a trust. And it would help that corridor not gentrify by being able to have a revenue stream from selling the solar into the grid that the streetcar was drawing from. And then that the revenue stream then would, after you deduct all the costs, would be there for the community to use for small businesses and various other entities that would want to stay in that area. And also, you know, low-income housing, a lot of things. Just keep running that solar down that corridor and use the funds. So that was the first. So we're talking about, for example, median strips and roadways. The idea was that this revenue would not just go to the local or state government, but be more anchored to that locality. Yeah, so the the revenue wouldn't go to the investor-owned utility. And if the city or somebody else owned it, it wouldn't just go to the local government. It could be a more community-governed model. So, you know, the purpose for the trust could be given by the community. So anyway, I just want to say that didn't work at all because we had grants. We, we started to work on that. Immediately, we got pushback from the utility, the investor-owned utility. Immediately, we got into a lot of behind-the-scenes issues, including for a 10-kilowatt system, they wanted $2 million of insurance and other things like that that would just blow the budget. So we quickly got out of that corridor, but I still hope someday that right-of-way corridors in through county land, public lands, and various other things can use solar commons. And that is part of the vision for it as it scales in this way. 
as opposed to the big solar farms that many of us are seeing on top of prime farmland, especially here in Minnesota, where I live right now. So that is that old centralized utility model where the big solar farms way out there in some rural area, and then the ratepayers are paying for a big transmission grid to bring that electricity into the city. There are other ways to own, there are other ways to have solar grow. Of course, this can be done Beside these other large-scale ways, we can start having some parallel types of, of community solar ownership. That's what we're trying to do now. So this is really self-consciously trying to find a decentralized paradigm for growing solar while giving people more control over the systems and the revenue from Exactly. It. Exactly right. So after we weren't able to do that, we tried parks. We tried several things throughout Phoenix, but eventually we ended up in Tucson. And we were able to put a solar array that's small, 14.5 kilowatts system. And we put it on a community center rooftop in Tucson. And we began generating savings on the electric bill of that community center. And that community center entered an agreement to pass on the benefits after costs, after subtracting costs, to a lower income area of Tucson. So then we had the governance issues and the meaning issues of this. So what is a commons in this case? We started to partner with a school in the low-income community, which would be the beneficiary of the trust. And right now we're using a participatory budgeting model. This trust, you know, it makes only about $3,000 a year or less for the community beneficiary. It's a 20-year agreement. That means that there is a dependable revenue stream for a community to plan with if they want for a 20-year vision. But right now, this is our first experimental prototype. And so we're doing a lot of things with thinking through what are the tools that a community would need to govern solar in this way. So the owner is the community center, but the financial benefits after costs go to the trust. The trust then distributes it to the name beneficiary. In this case, where now we're working with the school, the kids in the school, it's an elementary school in a really interesting part of town that has a very large political refugee community. And there's at this very school, there are 26 languages spoken. It's a very interesting, diverse school. And the kids are themselves going to decide or through participatory budgeting of how to use those funds between two to 3,000 a year in their neighborhood uh, using that method. So we put artwork, a mural, up on the school for the community that's saying, all right, this is your deed to title of the benefits of a solar commons, because the legal owner is the community center, but the owner, and this is, as you know, in trust law, there's two kinds of ownership. It's split. So the owner of the benefits is the beneficiary. So that's our neighborhood. So we can start to use art to try to say, this is what it looks like when we claim Commonwealth of the Sun as our right, our commons, and we claim our ownership over it. So that's how we're working right now in Tucson. I, I can tell you about the other projects, but again, we're all, you know, they're all experimental in the great tradition of Eleanor Ostrom, who told us to do a lot of experiments with trusts for governing commons. You later then moved to Minnesota, and you've gotten some other experiments underway there. Tell me how they build on the lessons from the Tucson experience and how they might be 
unfolding in different directions, better directions, simply different, or what? Yes, so we are ongoing learning so much from our Tucson project. But in Minnesota, one of the key things that we have that we are working on is the dashboard. So what we understand is that the community partners to this, that is to say the solar host, the trustees, and the community owner, the beneficiary, in order to have a way to work together that is transparent and accountable with the trust funds and with the the money that the solar array is making, we needed a dashboard, a digital dashboard that everybody could use and that we could measure the radiation of the sun. We could measure the kilowatt hours coming in, the kilowatts created, the hours, stuff from the inverter. I can get really technical here, but also it would show exactly how much savings was on the electric bill of the host and then how much were deducted for the average costs of all of this, the maintenance, O&R, insurance, et cetera, and then how much would go to the trust. And then the dashboard showing this flow of values, if you can imagine on one screen, seeing all the flow of values together, would also have a place for the beneficiary to show what they did with the money. So here's what we did for community wealth building with the fund. We created that dashboard as a prototype in Tucson, and we are using that in different ways as we build our larger solar commons projects here in Minnesota. And again, I want to say these are prototypes. What I'm talking about here is tools that we found we need to have in order to have transparency and governance and create more accountability and stability in the system. I mean, it's obvious why you would want that kind of data, both in terms of the energy and the revenue and so forth. But tell me how the dashboard is used and how it therefore provides transparency and accountability and how that's critical to the commons governance in your solar commons. Right. So I'm going to talk about two projects now where we are raising money for the actual solar array because they're going to be hopefully 500 kilowatt systems. So you need 800 to a million dollars for this now, as opposed to our small one. If I could just step back a minute and say that the Solar Commons had, from its first one, we did an analysis, the Rocky Mountain Institute did an analysis of the business model and said, you really shouldn't go over 500 kilowatts in the size of your system. If you do that, you'll add administrative costs and these costs will actually take away from the trust. So we thought that was very interesting, that size scale has a lot to do, not just with creating more efficiencies as we are taught in an industrial model, but actually it will create value for certain parts of the system. And we're really interested in the trust. We're interested in how much money of solar savings can get to the trust. So when we watch the whole solar economics in that way, we have a very different reading on the value of solar and the benefits that solar could bring to a community. So not just electricity benefits, not things like that. Not to answer your question about the dashboard for a minute, but anyway, our dashboard is built with a 500 kilowatt system. We've been designing it for that. But I want to just note that there is so much misunderstanding about the actual value of solar and the way it's playing out. And so, for example, I was just listening to a podcast in California. In California, they've recently almost all but gotten rid of net metering. Net metering is simply being able to, during the day, the sun is shining and you're producing on your rooftop, let's say, 
behind your meter, you're producing solar electricity and you're not using it on site. So it needs to go back into the grid. And so that will turn your meter backwards and you'll be able to get paid or rather backwards on your electric bill. It will show on your electric bill. Well, the rate which you get paid back from the utility for that electricity you put in is now really being diminished. And even for solar commons, net metering is a very important part of our model if we don't use a battery. So that's a problem. But let me just say that solar commons is trying to understand the commonwealth values that are present for us in solar and the kind of economic thinking and ownership structures we need to be able to use that commonwealth. The way it's structured so far with the state and private ownership model of solar you have an arrangement whereby, for example, you can generate with a giant solar farm far away, you can generate electricity through solar for like two cents a kilowatt hour. And if you have that same solar on your rooftop, small scale and are generating, it's about 10 cents. But if you factor in the cost of bringing that in through a big transmission line, it's about 40 cents a kilowatt hour. So on your electric bill, you don't really get to clearly see that that much is added by the big investor-owned utility model. They are adding that system. They're recouping that because they have a guaranteed return on investment whenever they build transmission lines. So there's basically this structural bias in favor of the centralized utility model, even though it's hugely more expensive than having a decentralized system on people's homes or neighborhoods. Absolutely. And so solar is the cheapest form of electricity right now, but this is very hard to know. It's just hard to know from your electric bill. It's hard to know from the way the rates are structured, the way your, your electric bill works, the way the public utility regulators in each state work, supposedly regulating the utilities, but actually working alongside centralized investor ownership. So that's a huge issue in solar commons. We are really trying very hard to work without having to enter that system at all. It sounds like you've had to slash through the jungle with a machete through bureaucracy and existing pricing systems and the public utility system to try to pioneer a different model that more benefits the commonwealth, as you say, as opposed to the private investor model. I can imagine that must be a really complex endeavor, first of all, to understand the existing system and then to devise your own alternative system that is more beneficial for more people. Yes, it's exactly right. That's the interesting thing. I have to kind of go back to trust law here for a second as opposed to a nonprofit or a corporation type of ownership where you need to get registered and approvals and things like that. But trust ownership in general, you can do these things very simply without registering or having state approval for things. So it becomes this interesting model. And if you stay behind the meter, if you're not trying to work into some larger ownership structure, which is really well-established and entrenched in the electricity system right now, that's what we're experimenting with, what people can do together with a trust arrangement, and it really is social trust here, what can they do together with a legal agreement of trust and a dashboard that is transparent and shows exactly what's making money, where the money's going, etc. They can do that together for a period of 20 years that they work together, which is the period that the solar technology gives us for stability to link to the sun's rising every morning.
This raises a question in my mind is, how did you assemble the partners and participants to aggregate the funds to get the different players, whether it's land or rooftops or community groups together to pull in the same direction and contribute the different things you had? How did that work? I would say it works because right now I'm speaking rather complexly about it, but usually when I introduce this idea, it's pretty straightforward and people get it. People think, yeah, solar, you know, you're making money from the sun. There's going to be solar savings and that should be shareable. And so actually people are really drawn to that idea. They also know that the whole energy transition is being slowed down enormously by ownership structures that are in place with electricity. The idea is, of course, to be able to transition our transportation and our heating onto electricity and to have decarbonized electricity. So who owns the electric grid? What are the ownership structures available for that technology are absolutely important. They can't just be ignored as we try to transition and move forward. So bringing a community trust ownership model into that sector it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. We've done that with land trusts. We've done that in other ways. Why not here? People who have solar, they know that they have solar savings on their electric bill. If they want to share those with a community, they'd like to be able to. So it's as simple as that. The other thing I'd say is that this idea of the dashboard, one of the things we're shown, this certainly could be anywhere. I'll tell you about the, the model we created for the University of Minnesota. This was working with the engineering students. Uh, we entered as a solar commons team, a group of anthropologists and engineering students, undergrads, and they entered the U.S. Solar District Cup competition. This was to design a district solar for a university campus. So we designed for a very high level design for three megawatts of the university campus. And by the way, all campuses in the Minnesota system are gonna to have to have 3% of their electricity load generated by rooftop solar by 2030. That's a new mandate in our state. So that's coming. So the students designed three megawatts, that's big. And what we did is we did a 500 kilowatt solar commons carve out. We had all of the numbers for how it would work and the actual technical design for that rooftop solar. And with the carve out, we created a dashboard and proposed that that digital dashboard could be in the library of the university and be, everybody could watch how much that 500 kilowatt system was making for its beneficiary trust. We were proposing why not all these campuses on the Minnesota system that are on ancestral indigenous lands, why don't they just let that carbon wealth of the sun flow to those indigenous partners and to support the food sovereignty work that's happening on all of these reservations and indigenous lands in our state. So we have five campuses, solar needs to go on all of them. Why not have them all have solar commons, pull out 500 kilowatts, that'd be about $70,000 a year for 20 years in an agreement. It's going to flow to food sovereignty work for our indigenous partners, and they could uh, have a screen there and just show what they're doing. In some ways, it's like discovering new sources of funding for purposes that are historically neglected. We could make the solar transition while generating money to help finance these alternatives we need in any case. Exactly. So it probably works best to think of the solar commons as a little community development bank 
or a, I, I like to think of it as a, instead of a universal basic income, a kind of community basic income. It's a solid 20 year revenue stream for exactly that kind of work. And the tools that we're making, what we're finding is that the process of creating a trust, the purpose of a trust, you could use that purpose and that process to link with food sovereignty work or other work that is going on and help you have a 20 year plan that's flexible for it. Well, that's obviously an attractive way to develop partners, but at the same time, you do have to raise some significant upfront money to get these things built. Is this one complicated set of negotiations of this business, that nonprofit, that educational institution? You know, how do you get them together and how do you find the upfront capital to build these systems? Well, you know, you put your finger on, you know, some of the key work that we're doing here, which is getting the money at first. Well, I have to say the partnerships are not hard to get because people get it. They want to do it. There are many people at the university that like this idea. Another partner we have in northern Minnesota is Martin Pochartuk, who is the CEO of LEN Incorporated. So that is now the second largest solar manufacturing plant in the United States. This plant is located up in northern Minnesota in a small town called Mountain Iron on the Iron Range. And Martin Pochartuk is very interested in being a solar commons host. And we've been working for two years now together. The idea there is that their manufacturing plant, which has a large electric load, would have a 500 kilowatt solar array next to it going into the meter. And using that would be a small part of their electric load. And they would enter into a solar commons agreement with a nearby Boys Fort food sovereignty group. And so for 20 years, their savings, and they're, again, very happy to to do this. We've been working out all the details of this, that they would send that after cost, that revenue stream to their nearby community of food sovereignty work. So again, how are we going to get them fund for that one? Well, you know, the IRA. The Inflation Reduction Act. Right. Has a lot of funding now for big infrastructure projects. And we're really hoping we've been applying now for grants together. So this would be a partnership between university researchers, myself and others, LEN, the solar manufacturing plant, and the city, which has municipal utility there, and um, the Boys Fort Food Sovereignty Group. So our group's been together. We're applying for grants. So there's a lot of interested players who want to pull in the same direction, but it's probably just the messy process of getting to know each other and finding where the pots of money support might be. Yes, for sure. As I say, these are prototypes. So the research team here, which I lead, is the mover here as to create the prototypes. So we're doing that work. We're helping to write grants. We're building all these tools, the digital tools and others. We're going to do the testing, but also with the engineering school at the University of Minnesota, we're going to be running the testing and and everything else. So we're setting it up to do it at the larger scale right now. And I, I wanted to note that we've won two national prizes now. You ask how, how do we get partnerships? One of the things with a project like this is you need to get recognized by people in the solar industry and engineering and lots of solar interested people. That's been a big part of this. And so we won in 2023 a prize from the U.S. Department of Energy for uh, equitable community solar ownership model. So there is no community trust owned model for community 
community solar in the United States. We can talk about what community solar ownership actually looks like right now, but Solar Commons is the only community trust one we know of. So we won a major prize for that, for our small scale one. And then the University of Minnesota design, we also won uh, first place nationally for that model as just as a design from the U.S. Department of Energy, from NREL. So I'm saying that to be able to start working like this is going to become less out of the box um, because I think we're bringing this kind of recognition through these prizes and stuff. And with that, hopefully we'll come more funding and other things so we can keep going with these prototypes. So in some ways, you're just suffering a lot of the complexities of a first mover project where you're encountering things for the first time and have to figure it out. But hopefully follow on projects will be able to say, oh, this is the model and this is how we can move forward. You've said that this is a dynamic work in progress with some unresolved and unachieved goals. Maybe you could tell me the three or four major things that need to be resolved or has to be figured out or systematized for this to move forward in an easier way. Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's about ownership. That I think is the key one. That as you began talking about Solar Commons, you you mentioned the array would be owned by the trust. Well, that's one thing we are not working with anymore because it's very easy to have the array owned by the host and have the financial benefits obligated to the trust. That's a much better way to work. That's something we figured out along the way. But I think how people own together and govern this and share a vision and share a a working relationship for 20 years, that's not easy. Our first one's only been interconnected for five years. So we've encountered a lot of problems along the way and our bigger ones, we have to solve a lot, some of those problems with the larger scale ones now. So you might have a host who owns it, like that's an institution or a landowner or a business, but that player then decides to collaborate with the trust and how the benefits are allocated. Is that is that the scenario? Yes. Yeah, so there's an agreement with the trust that, and we use the dashboard to do all the calculations so that the owner of the array will send solar savings into the trust. By the way, I should say that the 20 year time frame for solar commons that we have. Right now, we work with that because the last five years, a warranty for a solar array is usually 25 years. So again, I'm trying to find stability in the system. Again, the sun is a stable source of commonwealth. What other features of stability can we bring to the economic system that we're creating here for a revenue stream for community wealth building? So one of them is that the technology and the warranty is for 25 years. If we work with a host who's the owner of that solar array and they're just sending their savings after all costs to the trust, we do that for 20 years. And then the last five years of the savings will go to decommissioning or various other things. We also account for changing the inverter and a number of other things that have to happen. That's all calculated in the dashboard. But working together for 20 years, we're a new model. We haven't done that yet. We have to put together the the legal arrangements so that people can work together for that period or stop working together after five years, maybe make solar commons that work for five or 10 years have a community owner that does that. A a big box store in a community creates a solar commons agreement with a nonprofit doing work in a nearby low-income community for, for five years or 10 years and moves the savings in that way. 
if you get a donation for a solar commons array and you put that array on a big box store or a manufacturing plant and that's a donated system then you understand that there's no payback on that solar array and so that's another kind of a donation agreement that will be sending the savings to the beneficiary more savings uh, through that model so it sounds like there's a lot riding on the details and figuring out these very complex permutations as expressed through the dashboard, but that you're finding those arrangements for it all to work out in the end. I was impressed that the Rocky Mountain Institute has done the assessment of the solar commons potential, and they're known for their very technical expertise and financial expertise. Tell me what they came up with. What what was their assessment like of solar commons? Yes, you can see their assessments on the solar commons project website, but they were so exciting and positive. On the one hand, they said this financial model is fully workable. It's net positive present value to any donor that is going to work with this. So if you're a donor and you, you have a mission to mitigate climate change and give to and support community wealth building, reparative justice, you could combine that into a solar commons donation, put up solar and and then have the funds going to, to a trust. So they were very positive. They looked at a both a donation and a payback model, but the donation model, they said, with that easily you could iterate and scale up solar commons in the United States to 10 gigawatts over the coming decade. So the financial model is sound, we know economically from the Rocky Mountain Institute studies, and the scalability is great. They again said, stay at 500 kilowatts and work out the administrative system and the legal system for that, which is what we're doing. And what we're talking about then is, depending on what state you're in, in Arizona, you've got closer to $140,000 a year for 500 kilowatts. In Minnesota, with less sunlight, your array is going to bring to the trust something closer to sixty dollars or 70000 a year. But that's substantial. If we're talking about food sovereignty work, you know, that's a food sovereignty coordinator that you don't have to write grants for every year for a tribe, for example. Well, so it sounds like there's this enormous potential in terms of the the model, the finances, the partnerships, the governance. What seems we keep coming back to, as you mentioned earlier, is the ownership structures that privilege centralized systems, the public utility, private investor system. Is this ultimately a political and policy issue that somehow has to be overcome? And, And do you have any theories for how you might get beyond that barrier? Yeah, that's, again, a great question. I think at a policy level, I would actually like to see that our right-of-way would have some policy that says 10% of people using the right-of-way for solar have to use solar commons and make that wealth go back into the community using these tools that we're building. So that's a policy thing that could happen. If you stay behind the meter and you're staying at 500 kilowatts, we'll know more as we finish this 500 kilowatt one for the LEN solar plant. If you do that, you're not messing with the system and the giant ownership issues that exists there for solar. You've got a load, electric load that needs to be served through electricity. You're putting in that electricity through the sun behind your meter. So you're using it right away for the most part. And so we don't challenge much with the model on that. So we're not, we don't need to draw a lot of attention. Now, I think if we stay working with that and we find ways to be able to talk about it through art, through public art, to frame it as commons, commonwealth, community wealth building, 
and various other things, I think we'll find a good way to do it. We, we need partners. We need more partners now that say from foundations that are interested in climate mitigation and community wealth building to work with us on this. And we could really build this set of tools together that could do our prototyping and getting debugging and all of those kinds of things much better if we were just a university research project going slowly the way the way we do. I love how there is this cultural and political upside the way you just sketched. And I just think we haven't mentioned the word NIMBY, not in my backyard, how there is so much NIMBYism against wind and solar, but that's often because it's like a neo-colonial regime where they're marching into some beautiful area and extracting the wind or the solar from them. And there's no smaller local ownership that people control, which if you have that, it can get rid of a lot of the NIMBY objections. That maybe is one of the elegant beauties of your model. I am so hoping, I'm so glad you said that, David, because that's exactly what I'm hoping for. I've been talking to people at the University of Vermont who are doing energy shed work. And by energy shed, I mean like a watershed. What if you could account for all the energy happening in a region through one system, interconnected system? So an energy shed would be the design for that system. So the big issue there, of course, is nimbyism. Even if they are finding in their design that if you are designing solar and wind, for that matter, at this large industry scale, you're really continuing that model of extracting wealth from rural areas to bring it into large urban areas. And especially the Department of Energy has some very interesting ways to try to stop the extractive model of value here by demanding community benefit plans with big infrastructure projects. So that's something with the Justice 40 initiative that's so promising. And I'd like to say here to everybody out there listening that that Solar Commons is a community benefit plan. Think of it as a community benefit plan for solar. And so, as you say, people don't want giant industrial solar plant on their prime farmland. That's an issue. But, but Germany and various other places have showed us that you can do a lot with iterations of smaller scale solar and ownership structures, municipal, rural co-ops, and other things in other ways that keep the benefits local. So Solar Commons is a strategy to create and keep benefits of solar local. Writing up a community trust, a Solar Commons trust, is basically writing a community benefit plan with solar. And I hope the University of Vermont team on Energy Shed, we can design how a solar commons would help to to work against nimbyism, exactly as you said. I was intrigued how the Vermont Law School Energy Clinic is collaborating with you to develop a so-called open source template for other solar commons. It sounds like this is kind of a setup for making it easier to replicate or emulate the whole model. And maybe you're just circling around precisely these archetypal legal, financial, community, participatory, digital dashboard items that are needed to make this work as a new paradigm. Do you think that's a fair restatement? I think that's exactly right. In fact, I should always begin introducing the solar commons with what you just said. I think understanding that is key. But let me say that the Vermont Energy Clinic was absolutely a fundamental partner when we started about five years ago. They were amazing partners to start with. We, we haven't been working with them recently, but without their help, starting this out would have taken a lot longer. 
the other element that so intrigues me about this is how it's not just all these mind-numbing technical or financial issues or legal issues, although, of course, it is that as well, but the beautiful public mural that is a, a very vivid public statement of that community ownership of the benefits, and that in some ways this is a social, cultural, community endeavor as well beyond all those complexities and that you have to pay attention to those interpersonal relationships and commitments to make it all go. That's what was so striking to me about that mural. Yes. Well, you know, I'm an anthropologist, David, and kind of a legal anthropologist. One thing we understand is that law can exist in a formal way with the modern state it has, but then there's customary law or what we call informal law or vernacular law. That is to say how communities at smaller scales have figured out how to govern and how to share and do things uh, together. And Solar Commons is absolutely a combination of those two. So you can't just do a Solar Commons as a formal legal tool, although you have to have that too as a, as a community trust structure. But if you don't have the informal vernacular part of a Solar Commons, it's not working. And so we've always worked with artists on this because you need to translate trust and ownership of Commonwealth into a, a way of belonging to a community. So the public art is a huge part of the experiment of ownership here. And it's ownership of a community. What does that mean? Commonwealth ownership of a community. We are absolutely trying to work that out through art. Well, Catherine, I want to congratulate you on how far you've come overcoming so many complex obstacles over the past 15 years. And the the rudiments of a new paradigm for growing solar in the transitions ahead that will be, I'm sure, quite turbulent. I wish you luck in helping to navigate those and to getting this paradigm well in place so that other communities can emulate you and check out your dashboard, check out your website. Thanks so much, David. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and your audience about it. And uh, for me to try to step out of the university and all of the experts that I talk to about these things and be able to speak as I do about Commonwealth, this is really where I started with Solar Commons. It took me years to understand electricity sector and to talk like engineers. And now I have to try to get rid of what happened to my ability to talk common talk after working with my engineering colleague. We'll figure it out. The beauty is it's all coming together. Congratulations on where you are. Thanks so much, David. 